The information provided in this podcast episode is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is in no way a replacement for a therapeutic relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Welcome, family, to another episode of the Minding My Black Business podcast, and it is I, Dr. Janae Taylor, Dr. T, Nene, it's me, your host. And we have a special guest for today's episode, Dr. Marvette Lacey. Do you all remember graduate school, professional school, medical school? Maybe you're in one of these schools right now. Um, I certainly remember that time for myself, and it was quite the experience and certainly played an impact on my own mental health. Well, we're going to talk to Dr. Marvette about that. She is the founder and creator of Happy, Free, and Paid, where she helps women of color finish their dissertations and build a six-figure business while expanding their joy and peace in their life. You can usually find her with a cup of coffee, listen to Beyonce, and planning her next adventure. We had such a really good conversation about graduate school, mental health, the demands on black women. I just really think you're going to enjoy this episode. Take a listen. Welcome to Minding My Black Business. Okay. Welcome, family, to another episode of the Minding My Black Business podcast. And today's guest, truthfully, I feel like I already know her, even though we have just formally met today. (laughs) I'm so excited to meet her. So, Dr. Lacey, Dr. Marvette Lacey, welcome to the Minding My Black Business podcast. Yes, thank you so much for having me and someone who has been listening to the podcast and been a big fan. I'm so excited to be on the show today. Well, thank you. Thank you. Can you introduce yourself to the family and let them know where they might find you? Yes. So um, again, I am Marvette Lacey. I work with women of color because I want them to be happy, free, and paid. Mm. Um, And I primarily help them get there in two ways. The first way is working with doctoral students to finish their dissertations. And then when they are all set and ready to go, we transition over to helping them to build a six-figure business so that they can have more options in life and freedom. And so so people can um, either find me on Instagram at Marvette Lacey or you can come to the website at MarvetteLacey.com. Okay. I'm sure some people's ears perked up as you said that as well. Um, you know, because we all, as, as much as we, you know, try to set out a work environment um, that we love, it's important that it's not just a um, activities of the heart that it also hits that bank account too. So uh, <laughs> we appreciate you and the work that you do. <laughs> so how did entrepreneurship find you? How did that happen for you? Oh, listen. So um, I've always been a dreamer. I've always been a person like 
listen, there has to be a way. If other people have figured it out, we can figure it out. Um, and even as someone, so I'm originally from Chicago, the West Side, which I say is the best side. Um, and growing up, like my parents, my family, their dream for me was just to have a job where I didn't have to do manual labor, where I could have a job like in an office building, you know, like just thinking about family working up, like coming up working class and, you know, language can sometimes be limited, but I clearly knew that particularly for my father, his goal was that I could just work in an office space. I could have salary. I didn't have to do like the hourly pay and that from very small, I knew that school was going to be my way out. And, you know, thinking like three or four years old, I'm like, I'm going to do this school thing all the way. I was so excited about school. And I'm like, I just want all the degrees. (laughs) So fast forward, um, I finished my master's work um, and my degree is in college student affairs. Um, So it's all the people, if you were in college, people who probably lived with you in a residence hall, or Mm -hmm. maybe they planned a fun event at night where you get the free pizza. Um, That is is my world of helping college students (laughs) um, get to the end of graduation. And I was working in um, Georgia. Um, Georgia College was, was just in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) Um, And I came across someone who became my mentor. um, And I was was doing that for a couple of years. And I was like, I have good ideas. And I just feel like people are not listening. I don't know if it's because, you know, I'm my age or, you know, how you, um, (laughs) I I talk about master students when they're fresh out. They like, I can change the world. I know it all. And they don't want to listen to anyone. So a little of that was going on too. And um, in our field, you usually change jobs every two to three years. And so I was looking for a new, like a new job to go to. And that mentor was like, well, why don't you just go do your PhD? And I'm like, I'm too young. Like you have to be older. I'm not like, I don't have enough job experience. Um, And she was like, I did it. I did it by the time I was 30, you can do it. And I was like, oh, okay. So, I'm like, great, this is going to finally be what I need. I'm going to have these letters behind my name. People are going to respect me. They're going to listen to my ideas. I'm going to get all the money that people say you get. <laughs> you get those letters and that degree. And I got in and was like, oh, no, that's not what's going to happen. Um, right. It became very clear to me, at least in my perspective, that Although higher education is selling a dream of we're here and we're a family, that was not my experience. And by that point, I was like, I've done multiple degrees and I keep waiting for like the promised land of sorts where people are going to actually care about other people. And it's not just going to be about money or about um, elitism like, oh, I I offer this. I do this research. I wasn't really interested in like making a name for myself in that way. I genuinely wanted to help people particularly like people like me who first generation college student just trying to figure out this whole thing like I'm just trying to have a better life than what my parents had which is their dream for me and it didn't seem like people were interested in helping me like to cultivate that or like having those conversations and I would say by the time I finished my coursework and I needed to work on my dissertation which is essentially for those who are unfamiliar, it's like you are writing a 200 page book about one topic. 
Right. And I was struggling because I was like, I don't want to do this anymore mm-hmm. because they sold me a dream and like it's it's just not working out. Um, and so doing what people do, just Googling and watching random videos, I came across this world where people were like, yeah, we make like all this money as an online business and as a life coach. And I'm like, what is that? What's a life coach? Like what online business? Like people are paying you to just talk to them. Like I just could not, my brain could not wrap around it, but it, me being who I am, I'm like, no, I need to do some research right. and just went down like all the rabbit holes and was like, oh, I could do this. Like, I don't have to be confined to, you know, the track of like either being faculty or going back into an administrator position. I can figure out my own business. And as a doc student, I started doing it. Um, my first business, <laughs> which was I wanted to work with women um, who maybe had experiences of childhood sexual abuse and was now as an adult trying to figure out like the initial trauma was over, but like it was still showing up in life and relationships and how to help them process that. But then I quickly realized like, oh, you still need to do your own work as it relates to that. So you have no business helping someone else see that. And I had a a business coach at the time who was like, well, you seem really good at this research thing. Why don't you make that your business? And I'm like, oh, people won't pay for that. Mm. And she was like, what are you talking about? Just do that. And once I started that, it, it took off. So I started my business in my last year of my PhD process. Wow, that's incredible. Um, For so many reasons. One, because I'm very much tapping into what grad school was like for me. And I'm like, how did you have the, like, that's incredible that you were thinking beyond the program and um, and beginning to craft the life that you were looking for. Like, that's that's phenomenal. Um. And this is a conversation that we've not ever had on the show. We have not talked extensively, if at all, really, about graduate school. And so um, I know that some of our listeners are in graduate school right now. Um, I know some of them, um, you know, might have have those memories of graduate school or might even be curious about graduate school. So for me, in my memory bank, it's like a that was like a life lifetimes ago um but i can quickly kind of access it like i I just remember uh there were certain parts that were really really cool and have you know i've carried on other parts that were quite traumatizing for sure Mm -hmm. um and so for you uh maybe let's start with the positive what do you (laughs) what do you miss most um about grad school about grad school life about that time in your life Oh, that's a good question. Um, so up to the point, so I, I did my PhD work at the University of Georgia. Mm-hmm. And prior to going to UGA, most of my experience was at small liberal arts institutions. Mm-hmm. And so I never had the experience of like a division one football team and going to a school with 35,000 other people and being in one of the, like the top rated college towns. And so right. I just remember my first year I was like I'm doing this like I'm going to be like a first year student all over again and I got a season pass and I was like I'm going to all the games and it was my <laughs> someone from the Midwest coming to the South I was like oh this is a whole other world like you got to dress yes. up again. oh yeah it's a whole thing <laughs> like the tailgating is a whole it's not just like bring some hot dogs no, no it's like 
whole spread and right. and and I was like, yes, this is this is this is life. This is everything. Um, so I miss like the just Saturday morning and being like, oh, it's football Saturday. Like I'm thinking about this time of year and right. you know, right now I'm recording, being in pandemic and it doesn't have that same feeling. It's a little bit complicated too by like, you know, racial tensions and all of that. Yes. Um, the health implications. But just, I'm, I'm going back to like that first year of like, oh, I'm going to all the tailgating and meeting new people mm-hmm. um, and being like, you know, school can stop on Saturday because Saturday is all about football and Chick-fil-A and drinking like right um, being in community with people um being in community with people where you know one minute we're talking about you know like identity development theory and then switching to like love and hip-hop like just having organic conversations with people where where for the first time felt like I felt seen Mm. like I felt like I was around other people who could have all these conversations and didn't think it was like, which that's strange. Why you want to do that? Um, I miss, let me see what else. I, and the, the town itself, um, being able to be on campus. And I also was like, I want to get to know like the locals um, and getting just to meet different people in Athens. Um, and just felt like I had a sense of freedom because I was a full-time student and I had a graduate assistantship um, that was about 13 hours for my first two years and then 20 hours for my second two years. Um, but that gave a sense of freedom because you're not working a traditional 40 hours. Like, And yeah, I was doing a lot of work and reading and writing, but I could go to any coffee shops or like my favorite tapas bar and just work and write and think of new ideas. And so just having that freedom is what I I would say, like, I really do miss like in terms of like the world I can it could just be open I can just write and talk about anything I don't there's not like a there's deadlines but you're like "Mm, I'm just I'm just here (laughs) (laughs) absolutely were you in the college of education yes okay okay Uh, um as was I fourth floor at a whole hall yeah (laughs) so um yeah there is like the idea of not only is like all these new things are happening and you're you know as someone who also kind of went you know did their undergrad then went uh, on to the master's and then went on to get the PhD program um, there is this idea that you are changing the world right like the things that I'm doing have you know has this phenomenal impact and this research and is so important and I need to know this stat stuff because I'm gonna do blah 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 right like <laughs> all this potential opportunity um that you feel like is actually happening now the reality of it is something different also <laughs> right 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 I'm doing like you know I'm doing very important work pull us some work right so (laughs) um there's a lot of opportunity a lot of hope um uh, for folks in in grad school and Mm -hmm. on on the other side of that there's a tremendous amount of sacrifice <laughs> to be a grad student. Um, and, and however you show up, because some people are going full-time, some people are going part-time, some people are returning students. I mean, like, however you show up 
into grad school, there's always going to be a level of sacrifice. Um, and so what did that look like for you? What sort of things do you feel like were compromised um, by being in grad school? I would say there's many things. I think about like time with family. So, you know, most of my family is in the Chicagoland area. Um, and grad school doesn't always lend itself for you to be able to just go home whenever you want to, especially if you live further away. Right. Um, whether that's because actual structural things or because you as a grad student, you constantly have this feeling of every second that I'm up, I need to be reading or writing something. Absolutely. Yeah. And that pressure could like get to you and you feel like, well, I can't go to family events or I can't necessarily take time for myself because I have to show that I, I'm serious about this and that I care about my studies. And so you feel this immense pressure to always be doing something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and of health too, I would say like physical health, um, you know, like when you are under that much like pressure and stress, that can start to really take a toll on your immune system. Mm-hmm. And so just getting sick, whether it's cold or things, or um, I know for me, being at a laptop all the time, I started to have back problems. I needed to go to physical therapy. And I just kept, every time I would go to the health center and people would be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. You're a grad student. Mm-hmm. And that just, it floored me because I'm like, I don't understand. So you just expect grad students to just, just not be well because of grad school. Like nobody thinks that's an issue. Um, But I would say like the main sacrifices was mental mental health wise. Um, So I I wanna say like after, so when you complete classes, you have to take preliminary exams, which um, is pretty much (laughs) you being able to prove that you know everything that you've been taught in all of your classes. And you need to be able to do that from memory. And people get to ask you any and every question that comes up into their mind and you should be able to answer that question. Um, And so after that process, me passing that process, I was just really burnt out. I was like fatigued, yeah. out. I was also in a relationship that I had no business being in, but that's a whole other podcast episode. But Listen. I was- <laughs> <laughs> Flash, flashbacks indeed <laughs> and I want to mention that to like paint this picture of my anxiety and depression because one I didn't know to be paying as a much as much attention to it and two because everybody was just like that's just the way it is it was normalized I just thought that yeah. was normal and it had got to a place where it was completely unmanaged and I went eight months and I could not, I'm supposed to be working on my dissertation. I could not write anything. I could not leave my house. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, you know, try to go to the gym and do the things that people tell you to do, like work out and mm-hmm. eat well. I would go to the gym and have like panic attacks. Like I couldn't get out the car mm-hmm. and I would sit in the parking lot for like hours and eventually just go back home and do nothing. Mm-hmm. I wasn't talking to anyone. Um, like I was eating, but like not really. I just wasn't really taking care of myself um, because I just didn't know how to at that point. Um, and that went on for about eight months. And I think I went to like a doctor's appointment and finally the doctor was just like, could you please just go see the psychiatrist? Like, please, like, 
just you know let's just see the medicine and like see what happens and if it doesn't work it doesn't work but like what you're doing right now isn't working mm-hmm. um and so i went and got a prescription for zoloft mm-hmm. um you know like trying to play around with levels and everything um and it, it worked for me mm. and it helped me get to a place where I could at least show up. Like I could, cause I wasn't even going to like my assistantship or anything that I could at least show up that I would at least talk to people. Um, but yeah, I would say like, that was my, that became one of the biggest reasons why I was like, I need to build a life for myself because if this happens again, or if I need to take out time to attend to like something that is very real, um, I want to be able to have the freedom to do, to, to do that, to do that. Um, but faculty kept saying like, you just got to push through. Mm-hmm. You got to push through like, yeah, okay, so you're a little bit sad and you're a little bit anxious. You still got things to do and realizing that people don't, a lot of people either don't know the realities of what it means to have anxiety and depression and or they haven't worked through their own and they have shame around their own. And so they project that onto you to be like, just get it together. Right. Right. Okay. So first of all... <laughs> that that was rich but i had truly forgotten all about prelims so the <laughs> and i was like yeah i remember studying notebooks and being answered wow it's amazing how you just pack things away uh so <laughs> yeah um i i think so i remember distinctly I think this might have even been in the part of the interview process of, or maybe it was orientation, but somewhere very early on in the program of almost like this expectation that you're going to, you will have some battle wounds. Um, And I think that's even how it was phrased um, through this program. Like nobody comes out unscathed right we we you will have your badges of honor i think that's how they phrased it badges of honor so we were you know already like okay and i think there are a large chunk of us who go into graduate school who are um high achievers and people pleasers and so the idea (laughs) the idea that it's an honor uh to be burdened wow uh <laughs> it's something that's kind of instilled upon you um at the very like you kind of taught that like yes you're going to be tired and yes you're going to be you know whatever and um and at least for the program at the time that I was there it, there wasn't any examples of people doing things differently because we also then listen to our professors who are also overtaxed um and managing multiple things and so the idea is that well this is just a training to be to get to that next step to you just get more money for doing it but (laughs) but you're still you're still going to be doing it um and so the idea that you could have some level of a life outside of school was kind of like unheard of and so I can imagine if people are listening right now and they are in graduate school, there might be a lot of head nods going on right now, or even, you know, some points of like revelation and insight if, or some denial, like, no, nah, that's not me. Uh, how, 
for you, how did anxiety and depression like pop up? What did it look like for you? Mm. Um, so initially it looked like going into the classroom and people, you know, talk about like imposter syndrome. Absolutely. Um, that looks like being in the classroom, being like, oh, everybody else is so smart. And mm-hmm. I don't know how to say it like that. And let me read all the things and reread my readings to make sure I'm prepared and have like as many pages of notes as pages of reading that I had to do because I don't, I don't want to be, you know, like caught slipping and being able to answer, but then getting into the classroom and, you know, at this level, your classroom experience is just talking for hours. Like there's not necessarily someone at the, at the front doing a PowerPoint and you got a test. No, it's just discussion. Like you had some readings and you need to talk back and forth. And I just couldn't say anything. I was like, okay, you should talk now. You can talk now. You can say something. Maybe you say that. Oh, that person said what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and doing this cycle of, I know I need to say something to prove that I did the readings, but also questioning if what I'm going to say is the right answer um if it's going to I'm gonna sound smarter people gonna think it's stupid Mm -hmm. and then being like oh too much time has passed now what am I gonna do and now everybody knows that I didn't do the reading and like I suck and I don't belong here and they're gonna ask they're gonna kick me out they're gonna make me leave Mm um and so I did like my first year first semester I did that cycle in every class and I couldn't show up and so by the end of that first semester I got a letter from the graduate school that was like you are now on academic probation and you have a semester to figure that out. Um, coming from someone who's like a straight A student, I was like, I have never in my life, what is this? Right, right. <laughs> it showed up in the classroom that way. Um, in my in my life, it's, um, for me, it's more about the like obsessive questions mm. and a judgment of myself of like, do I look the right way? Do I sound smart enough? I had a lot of insecurity about, you know, like no one in my family ever got a PhD. Like most of my family, um, you know, never even went to college. And here I am at the University of Georgia where all these people are like, yeah, you know, I've been here, I did my master's or my family did this. And like, it seemed like everybody was working from a manual that I did not have. Um, And I was really self-conscious about the way I spoke, um, that I didn't sound smart enough or academic enough or polished enough because um, I would also say that my... PhD experience is where my class started to become more front and center for me because people would say things or dress or have mannerisms that I just could not understand. Mm. I'm just like, would you just say it in regular like language or like why why is it so fancy? Like why is like like putting on airs almost? Right. And I need right. to find a way to explain that better. But like it would show up in even with something that was supposed to be social, mm-hmm. me constantly being in my mind, being like, oh, that's how you're supposed to do that. Oh, that's how I'm supposed to dress. Oh, I'm, who is that author? I don't even know. Like it's this constant list that I had in my head of yeah. in order to fit in, I gotta like you know, like learn so much. Uh-huh. Um, and then physically it showed up. I 
throughout my whole process, I gained a good 40, 50 pounds. Um, and it wasn't because I wasn't working out because I was working out four or five times a week, but it's stress um, and not sleeping well. Um, and I'm trying to think, it's just, I did a lot of self-isolating because I was like, if I'm by myself, then no one can know that I'm not supposed to be here, that I don't talk the right way or look the right way. Um, so I could just stay by myself and I can protect myself in that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, that's what it was looking like. Um, and constantly when you part of going back to what you were saying about like the battle wounds, mm -hmm. people will tell you you're not supposed to have a life. You're supposed to put your life on hold. Like faculty will, will repeat that messaging over and over. Like, no, that's you. You're not supposed to do those things. You can do that when you graduate. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's just, it's so many messages. And then people telling you like, you're not a good writer or the constantly tearing you apart. Like that's quote unquote, what's supposed to be a part of the process to help you become a better scholar. But that's, there's a lot of trauma mm -hmm. when someone is constantly criticizing what you, how you write, how you show up in class, what you want to research about mm -hmm. it. It, socializes you to then constantly question yourself and criticize yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and you're absolutely right that faculty, yeah, you might be getting paid a little bit more, but they, I see so many faculty just reliving who they were as doc, doc students. Absolutely. They never changed their life and they're still putting their life on hold, waiting for like, you know, first it's when I get a job and then it's when I get tenure or when I become a full professor, then I'll be able to live. And then you look up and your whole life has passed you by. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so so you mentioned class for sure. Those things uh, show themselves up in in the classroom in grad school. And then another component, and these things intersect certainly, is the racial component. <laughs> um, it, it, yeah, so I <laughs> I also came from a small liberal arts college, um, but it, so I came from Tuskegee, which mm -hmm. went from a campus of thirty two hundred, maybe, maybe thirty three on a good day, thirty three, <laughs> thirty three hundred to at the time UGA was uh, so I was there before you, so it was like thirty three thousand. So right, so I went tenfold, right. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but very much being in a, uh, you know, not I, I was in no way like a big fish at Tuskegee, but very much like had my community, like the professors engaged with you in a different way. Um, they knew you in a different way. Um, they held you accountable in certain ways. Um, it, it was different. So then to go there to be very much a small, uh, just one person on this on this space with the other thirty three thousand other folks, um, and then to go and have a cohort. Um, I think there were like maybe seven or eight of us um, in our cohort, and two of us uh, are black, and so but we often took classes with other cohorts and but having to have these conversations around i distinctly remember having like all these diversity conversations and being confused because things did not like what are you talking about this doesn't make sense and so there's a whole part of like 
I'm just trying to understand grad school, right? Like I'm just trying to, <laughs> cause it's not like undergrad. Like I'm just trying to make sure I turn my stuff in on time. I'm a good student. I want to continue to be a good student. Let me do whatever this person is telling me I, says I need to do. If that means I need to come up into this building on my weekends, which oftentimes people did, they had their own spot, their own floor, their own computer lab. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll do that too. I'll bring my pillow. I will sacrifice <laughs> that cause I know I'm going to be here for the long haul. We'll make it fun. Everybody come and sacrifice yeah. your life for two days. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, so that was the fun part. You know, I'm using fun and, in air quotes um but then also to constantly be assessed that you are you know that you're not doing things up to par or you know you know to even use your phrases in terms of how how you're responding or not respond like there is just um graduate school is intense (laughs) and the fact that we that some of us are able to that we that we make it out with a degree is is to be commended for sure, um, and I think in order for us to move past that, I think a lot of, for me I've had to like forget some of this stuff. So even having this conversation, I'm remembering lots of things. Um, for those people who are in grad school now, because for those of us who've got out. We, we gotta we gotta take care of ourselves, but there are also <laughs> we cannot forget those who are in who are currently you know, taking classes and doing all this. And I actually couldn't, couldn't even imagine um, having to do this right now in such isolation. Because um, I think if nothing else, I did have my cohort, we would check in with each other on some level. Um, the, they were the people who knew me the best at, at that time. And so um, how would these might you say? Because I can't even imagine like, if you're already isolating pre mm-hmm. pre COVID, <laughs> if you're already feeling disconnected, and then we add this layer on, how that might be impacting someone's mental health as a grad student. So, what sort of things would you say to that person? What sorts of help them <laughs> in the ways that you can? Yes. So what I tell my clients is, number one, I don't care if you're like, no, I'm good. Everything's fine. Go find you a therapist. I don't care if you think everything is fine and you need to talk to that person every week. Yeah. Even if you're going to go talk to them and be like, yeah, everything's good. Like, you know, just had, like, had a little picnic, whatever. I don't care. But to have that support in place mm-hmm. because especially as someone like speaking from experience you don't want to be in the middle of it of the storm and then trying to find someone because that process right can can take a minute right people talk about like how it's about like dating and it's very true because I have my own stories to say but like find someone that you jam with and talk with them every week um two I I tell people yes community is important and and I get like we we become older we're like how do you make friends as an adult or like if you don't have a cohort or people in your program you're like Mm-mm, they're not my people I tell people like the power of just even if you're showing up on a zoom call and I know we all got zoom fatigue these days yes. but it hits different when you're showing up to a zoom call with people that you actually like right. and you be in community with <laughs> that is a whole different experience um 
And so there, I mean, there's so many like Facebook groups. Like, and you know, I even have like a Facebook group about like community and qualitative dissertations made simple. But it doesn't even matter if you're not working on a qualitative project. Like the community in there is everything because I know, right, like how difficult like being isolated can be um we try to do something every month so like next week we're going to be doing calling a homecoming lituation Mm -hmm. so we're telling people show up with your shirts show up with something your favorite beverage nobody's gonna ask you what's in your cup we just Mm -hmm. want you to come and like be in community um (laughs) so like finding you some people and even if you're like me who's like i'm an extreme introvert i want to be around all the people one or two people who can be in this process like a peer Mm -hmm. who is in it with you makes all the difference in the world Mm -hmm. and then the third thing I have my clients do we call them the scholar basics Mm -hmm. Um, because people tell you to take care of yourself all the time but like no one tells you what that means what it looks like and so every day I ask my clients to strive to do five things Um, the first one is to drink at least 64 ounces of water Mm -hmm. drink your water a lot of your like how you feel brain fog just like in general could be solved if you drink water and people have aversion to water I'm like listen I don't care you could drink sparkling you could drink it in some coffee and some tea I got clients who like I drink some Kool-Aid today I don't really care but you're drinking something Uh, so drink 64 ounces of water (laughs) number two at least 60 minutes a day for yourself mm-hmm. that could be I, I don't know if you watch a lovecraft country you scrolling on instagram like it has to be something that fills your cup back up so you know sometimes that's sleep but don't let it always be sleep like right. walk outside or um play a video game but do something don't don't do the laundry in the corner we not we not you know decluttering nothing we're not checking emails we're doing something that your brain will tell you that is a waste of time but you love to do do that um (laughs) so the third thing is um journal for 10 minutes a day now this is a big one my clients were there i was like i don't journal that's not what i do I'm like, okay, well, just pull your phone up and record yourself talking. You just need to talk or you need to write out your thoughts. I'm not asking you to say, well, today I went to the store and I'm not asking you to share a story. I just think it's very powerful. We can just dump out our brain Mm -hmm. and get to a place where we can watch our brains without judging the thoughts. Mm -hmm. And so I tell them, go deep and dark, write out everything because you have no idea what's circulating in your brain until you find a way to become aware of it. Absolutely. and so you're not going to do anything with it. You're not going to judge it. You're just dumping your brain out for 10 minutes a day and then you're going about your business. Mm-hmm. Number four is to do some sort of movement for 10 minutes a day. Now, somebody might say just 10 minutes. Yeah, because what grad students will do is that they will sit at their desk for 16, 18 hours a day. They will not move. They will not eat. They will not drink any water. They will just sit there because they think like that's what it means to show that you're dedicated to your work. And so by telling someone to move 10 minutes a day, it's like oh I could do that right that could be a walk to the mailbox that could be like a quick stretch a yoga session or something it could be like you turning on some music and twerking for 10 minutes like I don't care just move right right? energy needs to move throughout your body and then the last thing I, I ask my clients to do is to every day have a top three three things that you're going to commit to doing no matter what and these three things should take 20 minutes or less Mm -hmm. sometimes my top three looks like this take a shower drink my water 
and like sit on the couch and watch a TV show. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes like the way I call my um, anxiety Cheryl, mm-hmm. and I apologize to all the Cheryls out there, but it helps me to name my anxiety. So you know, sometimes she'd be acting up. Sometimes she'd just be having a whole, she wake up, she got a tantrum, she don't feel like doing it. And so it makes no sense to force myself to sit down to write mm-hmm. when she over here having a whole tantrum all that's going to be is like more pressure more frustration of me trying to force myself to do something whereas if I could just tell myself go sit down and watch this tv show like that usually helps me to like center myself Mm -hmm. and if I do feel like writing then I will but if I don't then I'm like okay I have a plan um but you know if you're like beyond like if I like want to use this top three as like towards writing what I tell people is what is something that would take you 20 minutes that could be reading an article Mm -hmm. right that can be um writing out what your introduction statement is going to be Mm -hmm. but I just find that we overestimate what we can get done in the time that we have for ourselves because people have all these dreams they don't write a whole book in two hours and then you get frustrated when the two hours has passed and you only have one sentence on the page right but when you make it more manageable like what can I do in 20 minutes you actually go faster Mm -hmm. Um, and so I have clients come in and I asked them, how how are you doing on a scale of one to five? How would you say you're doing with these five things? Mm -hmm. I also asked them to check in with, what is your energy level like today? What is your focus? What is your peace level? And let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. Um, So those are the the, the main things that I would tell people. I think those are phenomenal things Mm -hmm. Um, and definitely strong um, components of self-care. And so, yeah, and sometimes just even someone giving you permission to pay attention to these things um, is can do just a world of good for sure. Um, so thank you for that. Thank you. So I feel like I could literally be talking about this all day. I will not though. But one, <laughs> one because time is money, right? So, <laughs> but before we part, I must ask you, what does minding my black business mean to you? Minding my back, black business is, and if you've seen me on Instagram, you have heard this. I'm sitting in my house. I'm protecting my peace. I'm drinking my water. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm helping, like my people. I'm not giving away no free education to the people. So, like, I'm thinking back to um, like June when you know uprisings were like you know starting to come to a peak. Right. Uh, and my message to people, I was like, people of color, we're not, we're not educating the white people. Mm-hmm. No shade. It's just mm-hmm. that we've been doing this work for a very long time. And at some point, right, if if we're going to burn everything down to the ground, somebody got to be there to help build it back up and to ensure that we're not rebuilding something we just spent all this time and energy burning down. Absolutely. And so in order come from like a a place where we can think about that and use our talents and gifts we got to take care of ourselves first right like we have the the privilege of being able to look at our ancestors and knowing their journeys and seeing where you know things that work as well as like they pay for it dearly with their health mm-hmm. and so for me a core thing of minding my black business is learning from them mm-hmm. and using that as 
like you said, permission to engage in radical self-care, which means I'm not about to sit up here and give you all this like information that you just don't fight against me anyway. Not to say that people can't learn, but like in these times, we need to protect our peace. We need to protect our health. We need to take care of ourselves because this is quote unquote fight mm-hmm. is it's, we're in it for the long run and you got to make it to the end. And so you got to take care of yourself in order to do so. Um, and it makes no sense um, to essentially kill yourself in the process, uh, especially when I think about women folk. We are conditioned to take care of everyone else at the detriment of ourselves. And I don't think people talk about this, but I just think about aunties and grandmas and like just women I've known who've done all of that and they get to like 40, 50 and they go to the doctor and they get a terminal diagnosis that could have been prevented had they like, you know, had that attention early on. And so I've just been really conscious with talking to myself, my friends, clients, anyone who will listen, like we have to take care of ourselves. And a big part of that is protecting your peace and drinking your water mm, that's it stay hydrated y'all you heard it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much i have truly enjoyed today's conversation and i know that this has been um so helpful to those who are listening on the other side so thank you for that thank you for having me thank you absolutely enjoyed this episode as much as I did family we appreciate you listening we need you to do us a favor we need you to like comment and subscribe to the podcast also join us at following the movement on our website at mindingmyblackbusiness.com there you can find our Minding My Black Business merchandise and you can also find our digital academy Now, our academy is the place where we are looking to expand our resources, particularly emotional wellness resources for black entrepreneurs. And we already have worksheets there. We have more resources to come. You can follow us on our social media platforms. On Twitter, we are Minding My Black Biz. On Instagram, it's at Dr. Janae Taylor. And on Facebook, it's at Dr. Janae Taylor. So peace and blessings to us all. And when you're out there and they ask you what you're doing, don't forget to tell them, I'm minding my black business.